Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast where we look back on the cartoons, movies, TV shows, and whatnot of our youth to see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And this is Childhood Remastered. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Yes, the Grinch. Today we are covering how the Grinch stole Christmas. The original animated TV special from 1966, based off the popular Dr. Seuss book, it premiered December 18th of 66 with a runtime of 26 minutes and a budget at the time of $315,000, which factored for inflation today would be a budget of about $2.5 million. I have the exact number I calculated. It's in the notes. If you guys want to go look at it, you can. Did you watch this? 100%. This was a movie, and it really should still be a movie. I just haven't done it in recent years. It was a movie that we watched basically every year around Christmas time. It was a Christmas tradition. It, it helped that uh, for a while, um, when my mom remarried, this was my stepdad's like favorite movie of all time. So we would watch it even more because he liked it. So it would just be on every Christmas. Yeah. But... Absolutely. It is It is a, a lot of people have holiday traditions for movies and How the Grinch Stole Christmas is one of one of my families. I'm going to make it one of my families continuing on. Um, it's it's a it's a great little movie with a with a great message. It's got really fun. It's got a really fun song and really good actors. And and it was just was and is probably one of the better holiday movies and it's and it's short. It's short. It's like thirty minutes long. Yeah. And it's what fifty years old now. Nineteen sixty six. Older. Fifty two. Fifty two years old, and it's yeah. still. I feel holds like holds up real well. Yeah, I feel like it's still just as relevant today as it was fifty years ago, or even longer. How when uh, when uh, Doctor Seuss wrote it, wrote the actual book. How about you? Yes, I watched this a lot when I was a kid, but I wouldn't say it was like an every year thing. It was more like a. When it was on TV, we would watch it sort of thing. And I I always really liked this. It was one of my favorites. The The song that occurs in the middle of the movie is like one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs, which I know is a weird thing to say, but it is. And around the time that I became my own living on my own adult, I started making it something that I would look up and watch on YouTube every year. Mm-hmm. And now it's not really on YouTube anymore, but you can find it elsewhere and and so i started watching it and now i have my own kid and we watch it every year and we read the book all holiday season long this is one of her favorite books and full disclosure one of her favorite uh animated uh christmas related uh seasonal movies to watch because uh, well i think she likes it because it's got good music and and it's a nice, quick, tight story. Mm-hmm. And then she can go watch or do something else. Yeah, it's not something so, you have to invest a whole lot of time. Yes, yeah, twenty six minutes of your of your time. So, the movie itself, the, the animated feature is, it's really based off of the book by the same name that was, believe it or not, published in nineteen fifty seven, and. The book and the movie and really all of the other iterations afterwards to some degree, although less with the newer stuff, uh, is is about the commercialization of the holiday season. So mm-hmm. 
And the book is famously criticizing the commercialization of Christmas, which I think is something that this animated series picks up on. And the later live action Jim Carrey version does have, but I notice that it is conspicuously muted. Whoville is a is a hive of consumerism in basically every version of the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. True. They are very much people that are are going around and buying things like Christmas to the Who's is at least on the surface, Christmas to the Who's is something you purchase and give to someone else, but it's something that you purchase. At least that's how it's or seems. consume or consume. food too. Yeah. Right? It's food, it's presents, it's Things. lights, it's hol- it's it's yeah, it's all the decorations and trappings of of the holiday. And I think originally in the book, the Grinch was he was annoyed by the singing, like it was too loud. They were all it was all too noisy and too cacophonous down there, and that's why he hated Christmas because everybody was running around doing doing stuff, buying things, singing, doing all kinds of stuff. And he it, just didn't like that it was disrupting his exactly, peace and quiet. Exactly, because he lived up on the top of Mount Crumpet, and you know, apparently as a as a, uh, a hermit. Yeah. But uh, I feel like in the in the later Jim Carrey one, um, they they touch on that a little bit because one of the things that the Grinch does is he makes a lot of stuff. At least in the Jim Carrey one, he makes a lot of stuff uh, by hand. And in that one pivotal scene, which is why he hated Christmas, he uh, is ostracized for making that. Yeah, he that makes item. he makes a gift. He makes like an angel for the top of one of the his his crush's tree and they all make fun of him for essentially making garbage instead of buying something so he gets all pissed off and storms off yeah i think part of the genius of dr seuss is he takes real societal issues like commercialization uh environmentalism uh takes other things like um being different and 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 these these real societal concerns and he presents it in a way that children can understand it Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's probably his one of his greatest skills is that he takes these really complicated complex issues and yeah. he distills them down into a version that kids can understand and readily readily relate to. I, I forget the name of the of the book, but it was the one where the uh, the little birds had different designs on their belly, like the swirls went one way or oh, and, and oh, then a different way. Yeah, and, and then mm-hmm. the, they all thought that they were better than each other, or the one thought that it was better than the other because its swirl went one way and the other ones didn't. It was like that Star Trek episode in the original series where they had the the black and white faced guy. They thought that one guy was different, one was or one was better than the other. Yeah, the how other, can yeah. you say he's the same? He is black on the left side and white on the right side, while I have white on the left side and black on the right side. It is obvious to the most simple-minded that Loki is of an inferior breed. The obvious visual evidence, Commissioner, is that he is of the same breed as yourself. Are you blind, Commander Spock? Oh, look at me. Look at me. You're black on one side and white on the other. I am black on the right side. I fail to see the significant difference. Loki is white on the right side. All of his people are white on the right side. How dare you? Yeah. It's it's stuff like that. But How the Grinch Stole Christmas is probably, I would say, his best known work. One of. (laughs) He's got several, like Horton Hears a Who and The Lorax and Mm -hmm. One Fish, Two Fish and Cat in the Hat and some of these other books that are pretty well known. Forgot about Cat in the Hat. Yeah, but I would say that this is definitely on that list. This particular book is listed in the uh, Teacher Top 100 Books for Children uh, with the U.S. National Education Association and is 61 among the top 100 picture books. It is also, as we've discussed, an animated movie that we're here to talk about today. It was originally a book. The live action with Jim Carrey in the... uh, uh, year 2000, and just this year, a uh, Benedict Cumberbatch 3D animated film that actually you and I haven't seen yet. Haven't seen, uh, Kathy really wants to see because she is a Cumberbitch and uh, really wants to get out there and support him, support Benny C. But well, some, someday, someday. Someday. The book that we're talking about that this movie is based on 
Dr. Seuss wrote the book really quickly, and he was actually mostly finished with it within just a couple of weeks, which, if you know anything about writing a book, is that's kind of quick. Yeah. And, I mean, granted, it's only 69 pages, but still. He, he has a couple of biographers that have written biographies about him, and they said that it was the easiest book of his career to write, except for the ending. He didn't really know how to end it. And according to Dr. Seuss himself, he said, quote, I got hung up getting the Grinch out of the mess. I got into a situation where I sounded like a second-rate preacher of some biblical truism. Finally, in desperation, without making any statement whatever, I showed the Grinch and the Who's together at the table and made a pun of the Grinch carving the roast beast. And I had gone through thousands of uh, religious and non-religious choices, and then after three months, it came out like that. Uh, so he... It's like he was having more fun just kind of going through all the crazy stuff. And then he got to the end and he didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Which, I, you know, I guess happens sometimes when you write a book. You get lost in the story. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Dr. Seuss, that's not his real name. His name was actually Ted Geisel. And I think Seuss was his mother's maiden name. I think so. And he's written over, had written over 60 different books. And his books have sold more than 600 million copies and translated into over 20 different languages. And his first book was actually called And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street, which came out in 1937. And, you know, we mentioned some of his earlier, more uh, popular books. The 1937 book, uh, because, of course, we're talking about Dr. Seuss. Somebody's going to say, let's talk about the Dr. Seuss controversy. Uh, are you Are you aware of any of that at all? Uh, if it's the one that I'm thinking of, I, I think that's the one I texted you about. I, I'm right? not, I'm not sure, but I know that Dr. Seuss was a fan of drawing pinup art or like, like not, a, that's not, not where I was going okay. with that. But he, that is something that he did. He was a fan of yeah. drawing like pinup art. That was really not, common at the time. Yeah, not necessarily like, not, not necessarily erotic art. But he definitely drew like some nudes and and well, and I mean, he's an artist, so yeah. that would make sense. But sort of in his style too, so not like a not like a you know a oh weird, man a, a weird a like naked a weird cat in the hat yeah a weird <laughs> yeah a weird uh, bird bird lady with boobs or something. But he would draw humans in the style that he normally right. drew drew. But he would draw them nude, mostly women. I think all, entirely women. Uh, does it have to do something with the uh, Nazis? Uh, no, not exactly. So he was actually, Dr. Seuss himself was actually a strong anti-Nazi. He, he pushed for the U.S. to enter World War II before we did. That was something that at the time was controversial because the country's kind of split down the middle in the, in the early uh, 40s, late 30s about World War II. But he was a strong proponent of entering. No, this actually has to do with the book that I just named. Uh, the, the book that he first published in 1937. So... On one panel, there is a character drawn that is a sort of semi-racist depiction of a male Asian character that uh, would be like somebody pulling a rickshaw or something. Okay. And at the time, nobody really thought anything of it because it was sort of the art style of the day. But yeah. today, it definitely seems insensitive. Well, and it's like going back to any of the old yeah. Bugs Bunny cartoons where you had the, the buck-tooth rice hat right. wearing yeah, Japanese guy. Right, yeah, was offensive, the, yeah. Yeah, you can't... I like. It's I, hard to say. I think it was more that Seuss was a product of his time yeah. than anything else. And, and then the other thing that's sort of tied to that is he was very pro-Japanese internment camp, which is kind of not good. But yeah. I will say... Post World War II, he actually very much regretted that. Yeah, and he, Horton hears a who that book was actually a sort of semi response to trying to right that wrong yeah. and say, hey, you know, it's okay for us to be different. We need to. So I, I feel like I don't think it's right to judge people. It's hard to judge people. It's hard based to judge. Upon yeah, it's hard to a judge. Different time. The, yeah, that was nineteen thirty-seven, and you can say what you will about it, but. Uh, it's really easy for someone with a 21st century morality and idea of what's going on to look back at someone from 80 years ago and go, huh, 
but those, you know, those people, they should have known. Yeah. Like, well, maybe they should have, maybe they shouldn't have. Knowledge wasn't as ubiquitous. Not a lot of people knew as yeah. many other... I would say, know. had it been done today, yeah, that would be a proper response. Yeah. But this is 1937, 1940, 1942. Yeah. 80, it was a different time. years ago. Come on. Right. And then, again... It's not to excuse it, but No, it's, no, but it's, it's to help understand. Yeah. And then Horton Hears a Who was written as a way to say, hey, like, these things are kind of wrong. Now, granted, it was a sort of self-aggrandizing sort of way to do it, but but even still, I, I feel like we can't talk about a Dr. Seuss something without mentioning that, because mm-hmm. every time you just Google Dr. Seuss, that discussion is invariably part of the conversation, and I think, yeah, we should we should have that conversation, but I feel like sometimes... We're too quick to get angry about something that I, wonder if, I, I don't know it is really the right place to get angry about it. I, I wonder know? if the same thing happens. This is a good transition to the uh, producer, uh, one of the producers of this. Is I wonder if the same thing happens uh, when people discuss old Warner Brothers animation Yeah, no, it's a great segue because like Chuck Jones Chuck, produced this. Chuck Jones, Fritz Freeling, Ted, uh, Tex Avery. Do, do the same conversations come up about them? Because a lot of the stuff that they did in the in the 40s, a lot of the uh, the sort of propaganda films. World, the World War II propaganda films. The World films, War II yeah. propaganda We've films. We've talked about them before. Yeah, it, yeah. Or or just some of the old Disney stuff. I mean, I know The that, World War II propaganda yeah. stuff for Disney where Donald Duck is uh, dressed uh, well, like he has, a Hitler that's a, youth. And, that's a nightmare for him. Oh, it is. But, but it's still the, the iconography is yeah. something that you just wouldn't think of in current disney yeah so i know right? Di- i know disney catches a lot of hell for those original those those movies and but those like, shorts the thing and stuff is, is it's a different time you can't get mad but that's about... what i'm saying i'm wondering if chuck jones who was yeah. the producer of uh of this one of the producers along with uh dr seuss ted geisel if he caught hell you know when people discuss him for any of the depictions because he was the director of a lot of uh, you know, early Warner Brothers stuff, and he did stuff like uh, he created, co-created stuff uh, characters like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, Wiley Coyote, the Roadrunner, Pepe Le Pew, who's a rapist, Porky Pig, Michigan J-, J Frog, and many others. I mean, he had a hand in he had a hand in the in the golden age in of creating the golden age of Warner Brothers, and a lot of a lot of the stuff from that early time in Warner Brothers it was kind of con- yeah, kind of controversial. If you ever see the you know, if you ever, uh, I know there was a video out there, but I think you can find it on YouTube too. The the video of of the the band cartoons, a lot of those are Warner Brothers cartoons because they're just a product yeah. of their time. And it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be like, yeah, we can't judge these guys because it's a different time. Because on the one hand, like that's kind of a cop out, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, we can't because it was a different time. You know, there's. There's some of these things that, like, yes, had it been done today, 100%. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be wrong. We'd have a problem with it. And it doesn't mean that it was right then. It meant that we didn't, as a society, really know better. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, there were different societal norms, things that we didn't know were not okay yet. We hadn't figured it out. We hadn't grown as a society yet. I'm sure, so, in, I'm sure in 40 years, someone's going to look back on what we were doing in mass media today and say, how could they have possibly done that? I can already see in 20 years somebody going back and talking about how offensive Animaniacs was. Oh, yeah. The hollow how, nurse thing. How could that they have is going to catch yeah. flack 20 years from now. Somebody's going to be upset about away it. with that? That's just that, it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. The production company... Uh, speak- <laughs> hard segue. No, not hard segue. It's still the same. Because the production company for this was is related to um, is related to Chuck Jones and Ted Geisel. It's the Cat in the Hat Productions, which is Ted Geisel, Dr. Seuss's production company. And MGM Animation, which sort of related a little bit. Uh, same era, same sort of movie studio... Uh, it was directed by Chuck Jones, so the, the, a lot of this, a lot of this, had to do with Chuck Jones and his sort of visionary animation directing, and yeah, and and uh, I should mention the the Cat in the Hat Productions is the production company that Geisel or Doctor Seuss created in 1957 uh, when this book was written. Oh, good, and and he he actually created it, and it's what all of the other books afterwards. And then retroactively, all the prior books were then under. Yeah, so they're all I, under Cat in the Hat Productions, which is a publishing house, actually. When I'm and li- they've done other things. So they, they'll work in co with other 
uh, production companies to make these movies and other things. Yeah, when I'm thinking back to all the uh, Dr. Seuss books that I had when I was younger, they all had the cat in the hat on them, so that makes sense that it was cat in the hat production. Yeah. On the spine of the book, it was cat yeah. in the hat. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's get into the cast. The um, cast is short. Yes. So There's... really, it's only uh, like about four people. So the first is Boris Karloff, who plays the Grinch or the narrator in this and Boris Karloff, if you don't know who he is, we're going to talk about him now for just a minute. He was born William Henry Pratt in 1887 and died in 1969. He is known for his roles in many of the famous early horror and adventure films in the 1930s yeah. and into the 40s. And in fact, he didn't find stardom until the age of 44, when he starred as the monster in Frankenstein. I, if I remember correctly, not that I was around back then, but the sight of him just walking around would terrify people because he looked so much like Frankenstein, obviously without like the, the makeup and stuff. But he was he was a rather terrifying and imposing figure in his own He right. was a big guy at the... I mean, I think it was like... For the time, he was considered tall, which mm -hmm. I think is like 5'11", which now is like nothing. I mean, I'm 6' even, and you're 6'4". So yeah. that would have been... We would have been giants. But at the time, that seemed pretty big. Mm -hmm. So He also starred in movies like The Mummy, The Mask of Fu Manchu, which uh, is a crazy movie, apparently. He did stuff like The Black Cat, Gift of Gab, The Raven, and The Invisible Ray. Those are... Uh, a couple of movies that were done more in the in the 40s and 50s. So, oddly enough, his voice changes when he speaks for the Grinch. So originally, he would use the, his narrator voice throughout the entirety of this project. Mm -hmm. But after recording, they went in in all of the high pitched sections. They actually brought it down, me like mechanically, mm -hmm. and so that's why his voice has this like weird gravelly sort of thing to it because they actually went in in post-production and lowered his voice made it scarier it did it makes it real creepy and i kind of like it i really like it yeah for he knew every who down in whoville beneath was busy now hanging a hollywood and they're hanging their stockings he snarled for the sneer tomorrow is christmas it's practically here the next character is cindy lou who uh, one of, I think it's the only who that speaks. Uh, she is played by June Foray, and we've talked about June Foray a lot. She is the voice of Granny Gummy, Rocky the Flying Squirrel, Jokey Smurf, Magic of Dispel, and literally dozens and dozens of other characters from just as many uh, TV shows. Uh, she uh, actually died back in July of 2017, so she hung in there, though. I want to say she was close to 100 when she died. She was like in her 90s. Yeah, something like that. I mean, she was, yeah, in her 90s at least. Yeah. Max the Dog is uh, is the Grinch's dog. He is played by Dallas McKinnon. Uh, he is the voice of Woody Woodpecker, Gumby, Pokey, uh, Maleficent's Raven in Sleeping Beauty. What was his name? Lucifer? No, that was the cat in, what was the name of his? I don't remember. Oh, well. I'm sure. If you remember the name of the cat. Yeah, I don't remember. But Tweet us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> and the last character is uh, not really a character he's the singer of the song and uh, the song you're a mean one mr grinch probably everybody knows that song you heard it at the beginning of the episode and uh, a lot of people thought that the person singing the song was actually boris karloff but it wasn't and if you hear that song and you were a child in any time between the 80s and 90s and even today even up until like the the 2000s the late 2000s 2010s you probably recognize the voice, or at least you subconsciously recognize the voice, because the voice was Thurl Ravencroft. And Thurl Ravencroft is more famously known as the voice of Tony the Tiger. And the singing bust in the Haunted Mansion ride at Disneyland. He is. And he's he also the narrator in Haunted Mansion 2, and he's Fritz in the Tiki Room, and his voice is on Pirates of the Caribbean and the Disneyland Railroad. So the Disneyland Limited. Is yeah, that, that was his. Does? That was him. Up until I think really recently, they they were using his voice. But I I actually think that his voice is uh, it's it's pretty awesome. I I love his voice. Not only does he have an awesome voice, he also has one of the coolest names in all of recorded history. 
thorough Ravencroft. Yeah, he sounds like... Like he, a supervillain. He sounds like a supervillain or like he should be a professor at Hogwarts or something. <laughs> this is Professor Thurl Ravencroft. What do you think he teaches? I bet he teaches... Potent potables. No. <laughs> I was I was going to say that he sounds like someone who would be like the master of beasts or something. Yeah. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I love his voice. And this song is awesome, by the way. Yes. Yeah, it's it, pretty awesome. It absolutely is. It's, it's a fun song and it's, it's goofy and it gets across that the Grinch is like a jackass, but in a nice way. Yeah. It's like in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Do you want, maybe we could just talk about the movie a little bit. I have a bunch of stuff in here about yeah. the making of the movie. We we don't have to go. Yeah, the this, plot this the plot far. is super simple. The Grinch doesn't like Christmas. Uh, he in in various different versions, he either uh, doesn't like the noise that Christmas brings, or he doesn't like the the commercialness of it, or something. So he decides that he's going to steal Christmas and teach the Who's a lesson because. Out of all the stuff that he hates, apparently one of the things that he hates the most is on Christmas Day when they all get together and sing. And he doesn't want them to do that. So he figures that if he steals Christmas, if he takes literally everything from the Who's... He can take away their Christmas. He'll take away Christmas, he'll take away their Christmas spirit, and they'll just be in their homes crying, which will be music to his ears. Yeah. So he's he does. just uh I think... I mean, he is a Grinch. He is... Mad that other people are enjoying themselves and he's not because he's all alone and they're not. And he wants them to feel as alone and sad and angry. Misery loves company. He does. That's correct. It does love company. So he dresses up like Santa Claus and he goes into Whoville and he literally steals everything. He steals all the decorations, all the presents, all the food, every single thing he can take, he takes. And uh, he puts it all up on the top of his mountain, Mount Crumpet, and he's going to toss it over. To dump it. To dump it. No, it's a line from the book. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have read this book too many times. I, too many. Too many. And the big turning point in the book comes when the Who's all come out of their houses on Christmas morning with no food, no decorations, no presents, and they proceed to sing anyway because the whole point of Christmas is not the presents or the shiny things or the decorations. It's coming together as a family, as a community, and enjoying each other. So they start singing their uh, Wahoo Dore song, and the Grinch hears it, and he realizes that he was wrong too, and his heart grows three sizes that day, and he gets the strength to pick up the sleigh, and then and he, he brings it back. Brings it back, and he gives them all their presents, and, and he has a change of heart, and the Who's all accept him, and then at the end, he's carving the roast beast because he's become part of the community. He's included himself, and they've included him. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like the okay. So, so the messaging here is sort of what. What do you think about the messaging? What do you think about this message? It's it's weird because I mean it's a children's book, so you don't want to overly criticize a children's book because it's a children's book, and it's a commercial property to tell people that the commercialization of Christmas. Well, is wrong. well, that, but I mean, like the story. <laughs> so the story doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense well it's a dr seuss book None exactly of them do, so well you have you have some a, of the lorax that was some that one's messed up you have a bunch of a bunch of people the who's who are spending most of their time buying presents and doing christmasy things and then we're led to believe at the end that that all stuff that stuff didn't all matter or they all came to like a realization themselves i think because the book is very short. I mean, 69 pages. There's only a couple words on, you know, a couple paragraphs, not even a couple lines on each page. So that's why it's drawn out to 69 pages. The movie isn't much longer and it ta- basically takes all of the lines from the book. I think where you get a little bit more characterization is from the other longer movies because they take that story and they they sort of develop the the message a little bit more. Like in the Jim Carrey version, we both watched the Jim Carrey version. Yeah, and the I think it's Ron Howard. It was Ron yeah. Howard, and they get more into the reasoning behind why they like come to the realization that they don't need the presence. It's not something they all just spontaneously do. In the Jim Carrey one, it takes Cindy Lou uh, trying to like 
to uh, uh, reach out to the Grinch and then everything going wrong. And then her family standing up to her, standing up for her and saying like, you know, family's the only thing we need. You know, it's not because she gets blamed for Christmas essentially being stolen. And ruined because she tried to include the Grinch. And then her family says... And she tried to include the Grinch because he was grumpy and mad. And their whole culture surrounded around the idea of whoever it is that needs their Christmas spirit the most is the one that they... The cheermaster. Yeah, that is the person that year that they try to include the most to try and i mean i get the sentiment the Mm -hmm. the sentiment of that role is supposed to be hey this is the person who needs help the most let's make them the center of our focus yeah right but they they, overdo it well i think well that's true too they they overdo it because they lost sight of their they lost sight of the purpose of it in the first place long before they got there. Yeah. You know, years, decades in the past, that message was gone on their society. Yeah. And so Cindy Lou gets blamed for basically Christmas being ruined. And then her family sticks up for her and her dad says something to the effect of, you know, all I need for Chris, all I need this Christmas is my family. And then he sort of touches a chord with everyone else and then they start singing and then it has the same effect, but it's, it seems more organic and more story driven than just, they come out of their homes. Well, even it's though... a Ron Howard movie. Well, yeah. And it's got Jim Carrey in it, who, yeah. Love or hate Jim Carrey, he's amazing in this movie. He's a good actor. I mean, yeah. the thing is that Jim Carrey can act. He Whether can. you like him or not, uh, if you think he should have just stayed comedy or whatever, he, I think, is a good actor. Yeah. So, but this, the, the, I think the benefit of these longer, more, these longer feature length films rather than the, you know, 26, 24 minutes is you're able to develop those characters more and you can reach a wider audience of both adults and older kids like that the the book and the original movie are great for little kids because they tell a very simple story in a very simple way and you get the message there's not a lot of you don't need to do a lot to to get and and understand the message it's basically presented to you in narration form in the later yeah. ones you actually have to follow a story and characters actions have consequences and and you you know you feel bad for the grinch i don't think in the in the original book or in the no, original you definitely movie don't. you don't feel bad for the grinch because he's just a jerk and well, he sort I of comes like, to a realization later that yeah. maybe he shouldn't be a jerk but there's no it's 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 like the difference in time and back in the 60s and back in the 50s you could have characters that were just bad for the sake of being bad well, I also think the messaging was different. This is what I was kind of getting at earlier in that in the original book, it was 100% all about the anti-commercialization of the Christmas season, right? Yeah. Because, was, thinking, because of the sort of religious origins of the holiday, Yeah, right? I, was, I was thinking back to and, it, like late in the, you know, in the 50s and 60s, you had like the department store Christmas windows and... Right, and, so that seemed like big, deep commercialization mm-hmm. of Christmas and all the, the the Christmas shopping and all that was really becoming a thing. But see, that was all fueled by, by a booming 1950s economy and... You know, America on the rise, right? Mm -hmm. Golden age of the United States, blah, 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 right? So it was was a different time culturally, right? And then even even when the Grinch animated movie that we're here to talk about is made in 1966, we were still in that golden era, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we were still... I mean, the baby boom was still happening. Still happening, technically. Uh, I think it was on the tail end. Oh, yeah, the way tail end. But those those boomers are now young kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So our parents were 10 to anywhere between, you know, uh, say 16 to... Six. Yeah, 16 to 6, somewhere in there. So even then it was targeted to them again. Yeah. Right? So... I feel like the messaging of the book was a hundred percent about the commercialization. It really, the Grinch was a vehicle to propel that part of the story. Mm -hmm. The Grinch was supposed to represent all of us and our Grinchiness towards this season and softening our hearts to our neighbors. But at the same time, the who's are also supposed to be us in that showing us that this drive towards commercialism is not healthy and that when you self-examine uh your your sort of behavior that really it's it's about each other then we get to the 2000 jim carrey movie and i I won't speak to the 
Benedict Cumberbun movie, but but the Jim Carrey one felt like it was more about his character development and his realization that it's okay to be different and that the who's needed to understand that it was okay to treat him with respect because of his difference and that maybe they shouldn't ostracize and alienate the parts of their neighbors that they don't like. I felt like that was more of the message of the 2000 version than the anti-commercialization message, which granted is still there, but I don't think it was as strong. Yeah, but I think that that's sort of something that you needed to have in those movies because you needed more characterization because they weren't 24-minute movies. They weren't 26-minute right. movies. They need, you needed to have a reason for someone to root for the for the Grinch. I'm not saying that that was a failure of the Ron Howard version, mind you. No, I, it's, I think it's I, good. I think it's one of the selling points because, yeah, because it, it expands... It makes it a good story. Yeah, it expands on the lore. It actually, it actually humanizes him a little bit more. Uh, you understand that he's lonely. You understand that he's... Because in the in the uh, in the book and in the in the original movie, I don't think it ever came across that he was lonely. I think he was perfectly happy being alone. He and he just sort of wanted to impose his will on everyone else. But in the newer ones, you can see that he's lonely, and maybe he doesn't want to admit it. But he's lonely. He's sad. He wants friends, but he also has this. Uh, he also has this pain inside of him from. A, uh, an event that happened in his childhood that happened around Christmas that sort of defines his outlook on on Christmas and the holiday season and and whatever else it 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 humanizes him and it makes him a more relatable character which makes him a more likable character which I really liked the the Grinch like the Grinch in the 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 Grinch in the original one while it's a while it's a great movie and it's a it's a classic you don't really relate to the Grinch at all. Because he's just sort of a character. It's like relating to Yosemite Sam. You know, it's he's just a character that has no depth below the surface. When you get to the Jim Carrey one, he's got a lot more depth, and there's a I lot feel more. Like he's things- not even a character. He's more like a force of nature. Yeah, that acts upon. He's like the Tasmanian devil. There you go. Because he doesn't have any. He doesn't have any urge other than like the base nature of himself. Right. Is to cause havoc, and then. Eventually, they win him over, and he sort of overcomes his base nature, at least you think, and and he becomes part of the community. But you don't know why he did that. You don't know, like, what led to that. It's just sort of... Yeah. He has a realization because they all start singing, and he it, like, touches him. Well, yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I, I haven't seen the new one, so I don't know how close it is to any of these versions. I, I'm not going to speak to the new one. I, I mean, we, I don't prob- think- we probably should have gone to go see it. We just Well, I don't think you would be able to get the same. So in the original one, he's he's very surface level. I and think it's- and and he's very he's very kid friendly, I think, in terms of his like adversarialness. He's a very kid friendly adversary yeah. or antagonist. When you get to the Jim Carrey one, he is far more adult oriented. Like he has, he has. And he's complicated. He's complicated. He has romantic feelings for someone. He feels, he feels uh, uh, shame and regret. And he feels ostracized because he's green and furry and everyone else isn't. And there's a lot of like complex feelings that he has. I feel like the newer ones are more geared back to kids. Well, I mean, we don't know. We didn't see it. I didn't see it, but I, I can't imagine that they would go to the same. They're, they're probably going to be somewhere in between because because the Jim Carrey one was very much like an adult movie that had jokes for kids, and the original one was a kids movie that adults also enjoy just because it's fun and bright. I feel like these newer ones, these this newer one is more going to be like this is a, this is a kids movie that also has a few jokes for the parents, but it's not directed at them, you know? That was kind of, I think, the whole point, though, right? Mm-hmm. With the 2000 version was for it to be for kids and adults at the same time. Yeah. It's more, like a, it's more like a Shrek. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I think, because, um, you know, you and I were just talking about this, the new Wreck-It Ralph came out not that long ago, and we both saw it separately, but... But I noticed that the writing in it seems a lot more solid in some ways than the first one. 
But I think that's almost because the first one was more about like fan service to try and be like, hey, look at us. We put Zangief in a in a movie. Look at all these video games. Right. And so that was like fan service for the parents like who are our age mm-hmm. bringing their young kids to go see Wreck-It Ralph. But now those kids are older and the parents are older and they expect a better written story. Yeah. There was, I mean? Yeah, there was more going on in the in the second one. There was a lot more emotion, a lot more, uh, a lot more depth than uh, than the first one. Hell, he like psychoanalyzes himself at a at a point in the movie, which and deals with some like serious feelings that uh, are not played for laughs. So, the you're you're probably right in that, you know they they had they had an existing property and they were able to do more with it because they knew it was a property people are going to want. With whether it's Wreck-It Ralph or whether it's or whether it's uh, the the Grinch, you know, it's an existing property that they can expand on. And yeah. most of the time, when you expand on something in a respectful way, which I feel like Ron Howard, Jim Carrey, they did it in a respectful way. Yeah. When you expand on something in a respectful way, usually you get a lot more buy-in from the people who are fans of it in the first place. That might have been why. You know, controversy aside, that might have been why, you know, the, the, the 2016 Ghostbusters movie didn't do as well as it probably could have if they had respected the property a little bit more and, and done more to, to uh, appease fans of the originals rather than try and break out and do their own thing while still relying on the original. Well... It's, yeah, I okay. So rant time just for a second. I, I feel like the the 2016 Ghostbusters, and I've said this so, like over and over again. All of those women are incredibly funny on their own. They could all do movies on their own, and they have, and they are successful and great. And the director of that movie, he has a track record of doing funny stuff too. With that said, it felt more like they said, "Hey, here's an IP that." We can copy and paste and do a quick cash in and we will get these original actors to play cameos of not even their original characters. And we're going to reboot the franchise so that we can make more movies because the older actors are too old to do anymore. Bill Murray's an asshole. Well, he uh, is. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. I, I don't know him. I, I haven't met him personally, but a uh, word on the street. He's complicated. But uh, yeah, yeah. With the Ghostbusters movie, you know, again, not going to get into all the controversy and the Sony leaked emails and all that stuff because, you know, that's a whole, that's a, that's like four episodes we could do on that. Um, Tune in for our four-part miniseries. No, 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 no. Uh, I've still never watched the movie. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but, you know, with that Ghostbusters movie, the thing was that they had all these talented people and it was like, it was a waste, right? Mm-hmm. Because they could have told that story and called it something else. Yeah. And not called it Ghostbusters. Or they could have called it Ghostbusters, had the original characters in it and passed the torch, right? Well, to a new generation of Ghostbusters. But instead they just said, hey, we're just going to basically kind of sort of copy paste the story from the first one. Change it a little bit, but well, you know, we're going to polish a... We're going to take this amazing piece in the, of, of, you know, film and we're going to dip it in poop and then we're going to polish it and then tell you that it's a new thing. Well, and, what, and what you're getting at is that what this movie did the right way, that the yeah. ghost, what the what this movie did the right way that and what that, the Jim Carrey movie did the right that way. Ghostbusters screwed did, up. Didn't they necessarily the do. I is, know that it, I know it was kind of going on a tangent, but but no, it makes sense because what what the. The consensus about this movie is that this consensus about the original 1960s How the Grinch Stole Christmas movie is that it is a faithful and and loving adaptation of the book. And it right. brought together lots of very talented people. It to, is almost word for word the book. Yeah, it brought together lots of talented people that put out a product that is in the same, in the same, uh, has the same heart and the same message, and is basically the same thing, just animated of the book, the book that all these people loved. So that's a lot of the that, a lot of the time. That's the problem that you run into in in book adaptations. I mean, if you talk to anybody, or remakes, or of remakes, movies. if you talk to anybody who is a Harry Potter fan or a Lord of the Rings fan, if you talk, if you if like, you, we are if yeah. you get in those groups of people, 
and you talk to them, inevitably someone is going to talk about how they left this out of the movie or that out of the movie or how could they have forgotten this character well, do you or remember that character. You and I went and saw The Hobbit together. I think, which one was it that we saw? The second one? Mm-hmm. I think, or one, we went and saw one of them together and you and I both walked out. Well, first of all, we were irritated because things were missing and other stuff was added and all that. And we walked out kind of frustrated because... I think our take on it was exactly what everybody's take is when they go back and watch this movie. And that is the book was good. Don't mess with it. It was good how it was. That's how you got people wanting it to be something else in the first place. Yeah. And I know it's not always it's not always possible to include everything from the book, because if you just sat there and read a book, uh, you know, like a read an audio book. It would be hours and hours and hours long. Right. So obviously things have to get cut out. But you will, if you talk to any Harry Potter fans or any Lord of the Rings fans or any book that's been made into, I'm sure there's other books like the Divergent series I've never read, but I think Kathy's read or or the Maze Runner series that she's read. And as I sit through... Well, for those of you who don't know, the Wheel of Time book series is getting a film adaptation. I have no idea how they're going to do that and not completely ruin it. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah, and I I know that I know that uh they've there's been talk forever about the um the name of the wind being made into a movie and that book is like 800 pages long. Well, to some to some point uh this is an adult related book, but Cloud Atlas was a book that when it was written people said there's no way this could ever be made a movie. And then they made a movie on it, and people were like, oh, it's a good movie, but like, it's not that great. Yeah, so what I'm getting at is, it's not always possible to keep everything from a book into a movie. So the fact that this movie has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and is universally regarded as a very faithful and loving adaptation of the book by basically everyone who's ever seen it. Mine, uh, for me too, I love this movie. Yeah, it's amazing that, that they were able to do that. They were able to come up with... A movie, I mean, Grant, and in a short amount of time too. It's not like they drug the thing out. It's it's a twenty something minute long movie. I I think it's really unusual to see a project be allowed to have the kind of freedom to actually be based this much on its source material. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. It didn't happen much back then. It doesn't happen that much now. And uh, I just I think it's kind of cool to see that. Granted. It's a 69-page children's book being made into a 26-minute TV special. All right, I get it. It's really hard not to yeah. just do that. But but they... They turned the Polar Express into a freaking movie, and there weren't any lines of dialogue in that book. True. <laughs> and that's also a great little, uh, like, holiday kids movie. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think even whether you're... If you celebrate Christmas or you don't or you are religious or you're not, um, I I just like this movie. Yeah. I just like it. I, li- I like the kids book. I think it's a good, sweet message for kids. I think the movie is the same message and I think it's short. Yeah. So you don't have to worry too much about your kids staying up too late or whatever else. Yeah. If you've never seen the movie, watch the movie. Uh I would recommend making it part of your regular holiday rotation. If if uh, that's it's an some- easy insert, it yeah. really is. If that's something you want to do, I mean, I guarantee by the by the end of the song, or by the end of the first movie, the kids will be singing along with the song. It's super catchy, and maybe they'll learn all the words. The words are funny, uh, but. I would recommend going out and seeing it. There's really no downside. This is a great, great movie, and and I know this episode isn't about the the 2000 Jim Carrey movie, but I feel like that movie gets uh, a harsher rap than it should. I had never seen it. And originally I forgot that we were doing the animated Grinch. So I went and downloaded and watched the uh, 2000 Jim Carrey You were Carrey like halfway one. through it when you I, texted me like, yeah. Hey, this movie's good. It's like the animated movie. And you're like, yeah, I'm halfway through. It was like, you're halfway through. It's like, so you're 13 minutes in and you're like, wait, what are we watching? It was like the animated one. You're like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, I, there were legitimate laugh scene i was dying laughing in in a lot of the scenes and like like i said i know some people get sick of uh, jim carrey hamming it up and being a complete 
you know, mug for the camera, but it works in this because he's playing a character. It was a little unsettling that the Grinch was naked in a lot of it. Um, the Grinch dick was a little distracting. No, I'm kidding. But he was naked in a lot of it. He would wear clothes, but then he wouldn't wear clothes. And that just made me think that because he was hairy, it was just covering up his bits and nobody cared. But that was weird. I mean, that was like in the original one too. The Grinch didn't wear clothes and that made him more like a monster. But when he was more like a character that talked and interacted with people, that made it weird that he didn't wear clothes. Well, it's sort of like... And when he would wear like socks and no clothes. Well, like we talked about that with that Thanksgiving thing, right? Like where they give animals collars and so all of a sudden now they're wearing clothes, but they still have no clothes on. Yeah. You never feel more naked than you do. You could be completely naked and you don't feel as naked as if you were naked and just in socks. Oh, oh that's a weird feeling. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And that's how the Grinch just lives his life. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, like I wear sandals everywhere, so I don't I don't really socks aren't my thing. So. <laughs> but the, it's it's a great movie. Go and see it. We're probably before uh, this maybe, you know, around the time that this episode debuts, we'll probably have seen the new Grinch movie because I know Kathy wants to see it. We just decided to see Wreck-It Ralph last night instead. But I, I know that that's a movie that she wants to see. I'm sure it'll be somewhere because we got to go support, you know, Benny C., <laughs> her her uh her secret lover along with not know, so secret now millions of other women also like all of them <laughs> weird weird fisheye alien man <laughs> whatever <laughs> oh dr strange he does have a great new york accent benny c you really nailed that upstate new york accent oh man uh don't hate on him too hard sean i won't jealousy jealousy is a bitch jealousy so. is a bitch all right i think that'll do it this week it's been fun we have two more holiday-ish themed episodes that we're gonna do this month and then in the new year we're gonna start some new stuff yeah new old stuff maybe uh, we'll see everything old is so, new again yeah but yeah. uh, check out our website, Childhood Remastered. It's got all of our uh, social media and all the information about our show. You can join our mailing list and get access to all of our bonus content. It's for free! And notes. So, as you may have remembered, because the notes used to just be free for you to access without being on the mailing list, but all of the notes that I build out for the episodes are all there, going back to, well... As early as I started doing them on computers, so I don't know, episode 18, 19, something like that. So most of them have hyperlinks for every actor and production member, crew member, all the trivia, you know, probably half a dozen links at the bottom to things that we talk about. So all that stuff is there. And you can also check us out at acpnet.net. It is the network we are with. And They've got lots of shows sort of in our same wheelhouse. And we want to thank John Howarth for the music. Song is nascent. You can find his SoundCloud and a link to his work on our uh, website. Yeah, he, and He if, just released a new song that you he can did. check out. He did. And if you want to get in touch with us, you know how to do it. So reach out uh, and uh, touch faith. Ooh. <laughs> just ooh, okay <laughs> no here edit, edit that <laughs> that got creepy weird i was just trying to be weird no we can pull that out so uh, reach out and reach out and contact us email social media or message us through the site you yeah. can be like one of the one of the millions of spam bots that spam bots that send us messages oh, for viagra or the stuff we get russian I, stuff or whatever so the yeah. stuff we get is is just but i do look i do look at every single one of them so. we do and we do get stuff you know we get requests from some of you guys and uh, we get mentions to hey there's this project or this thing and you know sometimes we don't always respond immediately but we do our best to do it right away so yeah. please keep sending it it's nice it's, it's good to hear back from you guys it feels really good when you guys are like hey we like the show blah 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 so yeah that'll do it this week and we will see you uh, soon in a, in a couple weeks in a week or two but yeah. uh, until next time this is Sean and Chris and this has been your childhood remastered we will see you next time Spiders, you've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole.